All right. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here. And uh, we got a sermon this morning. And uh, if you are checking out Hope, um, checking out Lower Town, checking out Christianity, um, today's going to be a little different. And yet at the same time, it's not. Uh, today's going to be the gospel. Uh, today's going to be about Jesus. And I hope that all of us will walk out of here uh, more in love with Jesus and we're in love with uh, people around us. Um, and uh, so those of you who, who don't know, we've been in the series, this is now uh, week seven of the series that we've called Made for God, Identity, Gender, and Sex. And, and um, it's this topic in particular that we're gonna be looking at today, gender dysphoria. Um, and uh, it's, been, it's been one that has been on my mind for quite a long time. Uh, when we decided to do this series by we, uh, if you don't know this, we are, uh, a location, there are three different locations, same expression. We love uh, Jesus in our communities. And uh, so there's one uh, church downtown Minneapolis, another church in Columbia Heights. And uh, we, this is a mutual decision that we, the pastors, we get together and, and we talk about what we're gonna be uh, preaching on over the next year. And uh, this is what we decided we wanted to preach on this fall. And so knowing that this topic was, was coming up, uh, it, was, it, it weighed on me. And uh, a lot of you know that uh, we're part of a church planning network called Acts 29, and I have a cohort of churches in similar size and age. And so I get together with, um, I don't know, seven or eight other pastors from the Midwest and from Detroit and Chicago. And uh, we met up and we were talking about it. And we, we, we were talking about life in general. We had to do this thing where you have this big, like a giant post-it note, right? And you stick it on the wall and we're supposed to put our uh, we were supposed to do like our previous uh, six months and then our, our next six months. And this was back in, in, the, in the winter and I uh, had put this like in the, in the future of uh, this series is coming up and it was really stressing me out. And I had mentioned that and another guy, another pastor that was there with me, he was going through some other things and he was so stressed, his actual teeth were falling out. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'm not that stressed. <laughs> okay, you're like, I'm, I'm stressed, but I'm not like losing my teeth here, right? Uh, that's bad. <laughs> um, it was like, you need Jesus. You need Jesus, Ben. I uh, shouldn't be that stressed. Uh, he's doing much better now. Um, but anyways, I, I say all that because it was, it was, uh, it has been uh, on my heart. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I could say every single day that I was thinking about this, and yet I could probably say every single day um, that I was thinking about this, reading about this. I mean, multiple books uh, being read. Um, it's difficult in the sense of, from a church's perspective, uh, we don't have a lot of material. Right? Last week, uh, Paul. Uh, spoke on same-sex attraction, and, and you can go online, and we have multiple sermons on this. We have multiple uh, resources on our website uh, regarding that. But when it comes to gender dysphoria, uh, there's just nothing out there, really, uh, as far as a conservative view from, from the church. And, and if you Google uh, sermons on this topic, you're only really going to get some hate speech. Uh, and so it's not, those aren't really the sermons that I want to listen to, to help. And, and so it, this, it was difficult in that sense to prep for it. Um, and yet this morning, I feel uh, the grace of God. I have never had more text on a Sunday morning saying I'm praying for you than I have this morning uh, from some of you, from staff at Hope, from other pastors, the other pastors that are preaching right now on this topic. Um, and, uh, and that I feel... Um, ready in that sense. And I feel that the gospel is the answer uh, to everything and every single one of us in here. So that's where we're going to be looking at this morning. And I titled it, uh, The Orphan and the Widow. 
uh, James 1.27. And while James 1.27 is a passage that we will read, uh, this is not a typical sermon where we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture and really uh, digging into that. We will be doing that over the next couple. We're going to spend two years in the book of Romans. That's not this sermon. This is a topical sermon, um, but I'm going to be looking at a lot of different verses. And so I will have them all up on the screen, uh, reading from the NIV. But if you want to try to follow along, uh, good luck. Uh, but I will uh, do my best to uh, give you the, the reference and, and read those. Um, so again, uh, specifically looking at gender dysphoria uh, this morning, let me start with a caveat in the sense that um, I have learned a lot over the past several months uh, on this topic, and yet uh, I am uh, very naive in, in certain things. And so I may say words or phrases uh, that might sound offensive, that might be offensive. And I am in no way, I hope you uh, know my heart, am in no way purposefully trying to, to offend with, with language, if that makes sense. Um, and so show me grace and, 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 and care for me that way. I don't think I will say anything. Uh, I'm pretty prone to put my foot in my mouth a lot. <laughs> Except, so I will try not to do that this morning though, uh, but just show me a little bit of grace there. Um, so every week, and I know I've shared this multiple times, every single week, every time I get up to preach, regardless of the passage, regardless of the topic, regardless of the text, um, there are three questions that I ask uh, myself. Uh, number one is, is Jesus the hero of the story? Uh, regardless of what text we're looking at, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm preaching from Deuteronomy, is Jesus the hero of the story? I don't want to be the hero of the story. I don't want somebody else to be the hero of the story. Is Jesus the hero? Uh, that, that's the main, the main goal. Uh, another main question that I ask myself is, what if a good friend of mine, a neighbor, someone who is a non-believer were to come and listen to this sermon, would I say anything that would immediately put them off or offend them with my language? Uh, tell some off-color joke or whatever it may be to where they don't even get a chance to hear the gospel. The gospel is offensive. To talk about an individual who loves you and this is God in the flesh who, who shed his blood to die for your sins is offensive. But that's what should offend people, not, not me, not my jokes, not, not my personality, anything like that. So I want to make sure I think about that. But, but today in particular, the other question, the third question is, is the gospel the answer to the problem? And I have to ask myself that every week. What, what is the problem that's, that's arising here? Because this is not a sermon just for those uh, who would identify as uh, gender dysphoric. That's not what today is. Today is a sermon for all of us, all of us. And you may identify as that, and you may not. The idea is that the gospel is the answer to our problem. And I've said this multiple times. I know Paul has said this. All of us, every single one of us, our sexuality is broken. It was broken at the fall when Adam and Eve chose to worship the creator, or excuse me, worship the creation rather than the creator. And every single human being who's ever been born other than Christ has had a broken sexuality, everything about it. And so whether you personally experience gender dysphoria or not, we all need the gospel truth this morning to speak into our own brokenness. So let me um, jump very quickly and, and just into this idea of gender norms. Um, Paul, uh, like week one, like eight, seven, eight weeks ago uh, in our Monday morning meeting had shared this gender bread person uh, with me. And, and I know you can't read it. It's not, it's not, it's not meant to be funny. It's, this is a real thing though. 
Uh, and this genderbred person, though, the idea of uh, that there is maleness and femaleness, that there's femininity, masculinity, the idea is that there's identity is not equal to or greater than expression, which is not equal to or greater than sex or gender, which is not equal to sexual orientation, um, that everything is, is, is fluid with an individual. I know, I know you can't necessarily see that, um, but what, what happens uh, in society is, is this idea that you have maleness or masculinity, and then you have femaleness or femininity. And then there's this, this, this bar, this slider. And so if, if you're masculine and you do these stereotypical gender norm masculine things, then you, then you should be a man, right? And there are probably some of you uh, women who are in here who were teased or called a tomboy, right? Who didn't fit maybe your, you know, your, this description. Oh, my dad wanted this girly girl. And that just wasn't me. And I always felt uncomfortable in my skin. I didn't fit in with the other girls who wanted to do makeup and dress up and princess. That just wasn't me. I wanted to play football with the guys. And so that made you stand out and be a little, little different. And so people would tease you and say, oh, maybe you, you should be a guy. You should be a, be a dude, right? And then, and then the same other side that if I'm a, a man, but I have stereotypical feminine qualities and traits, well, then maybe you should be female, right? And, and, and tease those individuals who, who, uh, who might act a certain way and talk a certain way and walk a certain way. Oh, you're, you're weird, you're different. So therefore, maybe you should just be a girl and we're gonna make fun of you because you act like a girl. I know that was, that was my story, at least being the bully of individuals like that, which I'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. But as we were talking about this, one of the other pastors said, who made the list? <laughs> Who made the list of these gender norms and where can I find it, right? What, what is it that makes someone a man or masculine? And what is it that makes someone feminine, right? Because I know that I was always teased uh, by my football coach because I was in plays. Uh, uh, you know, I, I like to act and I would play football. And I had to hide the fact that I was acting and in plays from my football coach because I was afraid he would bench me. That's the truth, right? He would, he called, because there was other kids, he would. He would call them thespians, right? And he'd use that as a very derogatory, oh, you're a thespian, you can't play football, right? And it was just like, okay, well, I don't even want him to know that I'm playing Linus this summer, sucking my thumb with a blankie. I can't tell him that, not a chance. Scripture teaches us though, that this idea of thinking of just this linear idea of male and I lean into the masculine or lean into the feminine is just not how we were created. Just that we were created male and female in his image. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds, of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so I think a biblical way to look at this topic would be there are two different genders. There is male and there is female. But there are certain men who have feminine qualities and traits, and that's okay. That doesn't make them a woman. It doesn't make them a female. It makes them a feminine or a softer male, and that is okay. That's a good thing. 
And the same thing with women who might be a little bit more masculine. You're still female. That's the whole point. And can I just say, parents, as a dad, I think that we can do better. All of us can do better, maybe personally now. But I know that I was the guy in the locker room or, or making fun of people before they even knew where they landed when it came to sexual orientation. Oh, you're, you're that. Oh, you're like this. I'm not, I'm not even going to use the language, right? Oh, you're like that. And they're like, I, I, I'm not that. I, 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 don't, I don't even know what that means. And to tease and to mock and make fun of somebody. And we all probably have friends on either spectrum of this, of, of being a man who acts and talks a certain way. That we need to do better in the sense that we need to raise kids who love everybody, regardless of how they act. So what's the, what's the answer? What's the right thing here? What do we do with our culture? How should a Christian respond to the, the trans problem? And I think that if we're asking that, we're asking the wrong question. We shouldn't even be asking that question right now in our culture. Right? It's something that we've said over and over and over. That this is not a problem to be solved. This is a people to be loved. This is somebody, an individual or a group of people that we can say, we love you, we care for you. Let me tell you about Jesus. We talk about it all the time, that matter and manner matter. That the way in which I say it is almost just as important in what I say. I can't just truth hammer people. I need to love them. And I can't just love them. I need to speak truth into them. And so this is when it comes to this. Do we affirm or do we deny? What do we do here? The problem is, I think in our culture, we've become so polarized. And, I, and again, I'm not super old. You guys know I just had a birthday. I just turned 37, and, uh, which makes me one of the older ones in this room. I understand that. Uh, but when, it, when, it, when I look back, especially over what happened throughout the COVID, uh, the COVID time, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about, um, that people became polarized. We became, it was so easy to go to the extremes. Everything became political on one side or the other. Uh, when it became to race, uh, it became completely polarizing that we had people leave this church over multiple issues on, on one side or the other. And because we as a church stayed in the middle and said, no, we're gonna keep preaching the gospel, people were leaving. You're not saying enough, you're doing, you're doing too little. You're doing too much. It's not what's going on right now. And it was just polarizing. And this topic does the same exact thing. That if I don't affirm, well, then I must be denying them. I must not love them. But if I deny this, well, then, then you, you don't care about the truth. Or if I affirm, I don't care about the truth. If I deny, I don't love. Sorry, I might've mixed that up. And the thing is, depending on how we line up or where we might land on, an, on a topic like today, it can become so incredibly easy to look down on somebody who doesn't understand the viewpoint that we do. Oh, you don't, oh, you don't actually love people? Don't, don't you know that they're hurting? Don't you know that they're in pain? Don't you know that they have a, a, such a high suicide rate? You don't, you don't kind of love them? Oh man, I pity you. All right, and the same thing, oh, 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 you don't care about the truth? All you want to do is love? No, they need to know the truth and what the gospel teaches. They got to have, they, gotta, they need Jesus. And we so quickly can look down on one another and arise in our hearts this, this superiority complex over our understanding on, a, on any given topic, maybe not even just this one. But I would again like to suggest that there's a third way, that there's a gospel way. 
there's a way to speak the love in truth, that we can have content to the matter and portray that and share that in a manner that is loving and respectful. I want to share with you um, something that happened this past week, just on Thursday, actually. Um, I had a phone call uh, with someone who uh, experiences uh, gender dysphoria. And, uh, and I, I don't even know how it even came up. I I'd maybe just mentioned in passing, I'd like to have a conversation. And I'm going to be blatantly honest with all of you right now. And, and you might look, look down, don't look down on me. I just said, don't do that. But, but I want to be honest with you. When I said that, that I want to talk to someone, it was to get, uh, I just wanted to check the box. I just wanted to talk to somebody who identified as that to say I did it. I, I really wasn't planning on getting anything out of it. Uh, I just thought I need to do it so I can tell people, yeah, of course I, I did my research. I did my homework. I talked to somebody who, who identifies as this. And I need to repent of that. Because uh, that phone call, Zoom call, actually wasn't Zoom, it was Google. Whatever, whatever that, Google Rooms, I don't know what it's called. I, during that, it was a two hour long conversation. And I mean this, I have never felt more loved and respected by somebody I had just met. Um, I'd never been called Pastor Brian uh, more in my life uh, than in that call. He prayed for me. Um, and I felt uh, heard and seen in my position when I was unwilling and unable to see and hear his position. Um, this individual is a Christian, is a believer. And yet they had chosen for themselves and had landed in a theological position to say, I am uh, going to remain celibate, uh, that I'm not going to pursue any kind of sexual relationship and that for that individual, um, they said that transitioning was not right for them. That, that's this person. And I, and I can only speak to this one individual. This, this person that I called does not represent right, everybody that would experience gender dysphoria, but this individual uh, was in this category. And I think someone who would be in that category to have convictions like that is incredibly unique. Um, and you can imagine that individual, the hurt and pain they feel from their queer community or the LGBT community because of their position theologically, that, oh, you, no, you're not really like us. And then at the same time, not loved and cared for well in the church. When I um, was listening to the conversation, I asked him, uh, what, what is it theologically that has you land at that position? to say, no, I, I need to remain celibate and I'm not going to transition. What, what theologically is, is right? And I've got my, my pen ready. I'm ready to take notes. I want the answer. I want the truth, right? Because I want to know, what, what do I say to somebody who might be like you who comes into my church? What's the, what's the right answer? Right? You, you know me, I'm, I'm a theological thinker. There's right and there's wrong. There's black and white. I just want the answer. And so I said, I said to this individual, what is it? that made you land at this position. He said, I had to wrestle with myself when I was in college and I realized that I wasn't a gay man, that I was a straight woman. 
He said, but I had to ask myself the question, what is a woman? And I know that's a hot topic thing right now. I don't mean it like that, but he, I think he had to ask the question, what is a woman? And he said, God, just open my eyes, open my mind to realize maleness and femaleness, being a man and being a woman. And I realized that I can't change that, that God has made that a beautiful thing. And he said the same, same exact thing happened with marriage, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And when I saw how beautiful marriage is in that light, God just told me, hands off. Hands off. And so while we can say Jesus is the answer, I'm gonna come back to that call in just a minute. There's more that we talked about. Let me move on. That Jesus is the answer. I uh, have been recently reading uh, this book. It's the uh, Pilgrim's Progress, the little, little Pilgrim's Progress, although it's a massive, it's still like a 300-page book. The art in it is, is beautiful, but I've been reading this to my five-year-old, uh, Henry, and it's gotten to a point in the book that I actually don't want him to make the theological connections um, because as fun of a book as it is, the theology, I don't agree with like at all. This little pilgrim, Christian, right, who is a little bunny in this story, um, that he, he, is, uh, he, he gets saved in the sense that his burden falls off and he gets this scroll. But the entire book, that happens like in chapter three, right? And the entire rest of the book, little Christian is, is walking and he's fighting, like actually physically fighting um, self, another individual, a wolf named self, and, and he's doing all these different things. But when he goes off the path, when he veers off of the way of the king, then angels come, the king sends people, and they beat Christian. They beat him, okay? So God beats Christian so that he will get back on the straight and narrow path, right? And, and the whole thing is, is what is Christian doing to fight this, this path? And there's no gospel there is no, wow, yeah, hey, Christian, you did mess up, but guess what? I'm here with you. Let me love you. Let me care for you. I'm not going to beat you into, 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 into fixing this thing. And I think the same thing, that fixing my gender or my gender dysphoria is not the problem or isn't the answer. Behavior modification like Christian isn't the answer. It's loving Jesus and being loved by him and living in a way in light of the gospel. It's now who I am. Last night, um, I was hanging out with Henry um, and Jack, and, and I don't know why my son asked you this, but he said, Dad, what, what are you most afraid of? And I thought about it for a minute. And my answer to him was, um, my biggest fear is that you would grow up and not know Jesus. That you wouldn't love Jesus. I started to get a little emotional. And, and he goes, oh, no, I love Jesus. I mean like snakes or tigers. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of snakes. <laughs> I, I, thought we were getting, I thought we were getting deep here, buddy. I guess not. Right? I think that there are some of you in this room that if you were to ask your parent that question, that it would be, oh, I just hope that you don't ever come out of the closet or I hope that there's not some kind of behavior modification. It's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer. And we need to share that good news with people. And in Acts chapter eight, we're told the story, and I know I've shared this before, and so I'm not gonna really get into this passage, but um, Philip, uh, he's, he's traveling 
And, and the Holy Spirit uh, talks to him. The, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court of the official of Candace, uh, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, what's interesting is that when you look at this Philip, a Jewish individual, a man, that there were laws within Israel, that you had to be an Israelite, you had to be Jewish, you had to be a man. There are laws literally that if you uh, malign your genitalia, there's, there's consequences. And yet the Holy Spirit says, Philip, I want you to go to this person and share the good news of the gospel. That should be our heart. Verse 28, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading to the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? That should be our attitude. Now we look at somebody and say, oh, they, they, they dress different from me. They look different from me. They act different from me. They're uh, their sexuality is different from me. How can they know unless someone guides them? Let me go back to the call. And let me, let me say um, that I was um, honored really to have been on that call. And so it's not my story necessarily to share. And so I'm not gonna get into the details. Uh, and yet there are some things that I do wanna share about that. Um, he had... Um, uh, just long story short, that he had uh, recently, uh, within the last year, been uh, in a way kicked out of his church. He had been a member there for eight years. And when he started wanting to get more involved and be more involved in leadership, um, the pastor's response to him was, uh, there's no place for you here. Um, I, I've never been told that before. I have a hard time trying to put myself in that individual's shoes and hear that. It's just, you're not wanted. You're not wanted here. And like I said, this was why I wanted to take notes and I'm, and I'm listening, right? What's the right answer here? What a, hey, when, when your pastor said, there's no place for you here, what would you have wanted him to say? Right, and I'm ready. Here we go. I got the answer and I can share this. And I said, what would you have wanted him to say? And he said, I would have wanted him to cry with me. And that, that broke me. I was listening for a right answer. I was listening for a theological truth statement to help me. And all this individual was saying, I just want to be loved and heard. And instead, he hears there's no... There's no place for me. When he was in college, he joined a LGBT resource center and he just kind of casually said this. He said, these were people that just want to love you. And that hit me hard. That he could say that about a, a community group or this resource center at his college. And yet it was the exact opposite of his church. And I know a lot of you in here, myself included, have church trauma, have passed hurt, have heard things in a sense where you have not felt loved. You have not felt like you belong. That's not the gospel. 
there are people that we need to love. He went on to say that he's always in this perpetual state of apologizing for the church. It shouldn't be. We're only in control really of this church, of our congregation. That shouldn't be said. And I'd like to think that if this individual walked into our church, that we would love and care for them and respect them like anybody else. I would hope that would be the case. And then he said something towards the end of the conversation and I'll move on from the, the call. But he said he, he feels like the widow in the Bible. And uh, I was like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, because I'm an outcast. I'm an outcast of society. I'm an outcast of religious groups. And yet I'm choosing to be celibate. I'm choosing to remain single. And I just never thought of it that way. I'd never thought of an individual being the outcast of society, like a widow who can't get a job, who uh, most likely, who, 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 who the husband, dad, they can get a divorce, they can leave, and they can get remarried, no problem. But a woman has this mark. And she can't just as easily go get remarried. She can't just go into society and get a job in that culture. And I think this individual said, I identify as that. But I feel like trash that was discarded and I'm not wanted. And I'm choosing like a widow to remain celibate. And yet the church still won't even love me. So I want to read. I went online and I did a quick search. And I want to read some verses here. And maybe one of them will convict, maybe not. James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Exodus 22.22. Do not take advantage of the widow or an orphan. Isaiah 1.17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you are harvesting in your field, do not overlook a sheaf. Do not go back and get it. Leave it for the alien, the wanderer, the one who's not welcomed. Leave it for the fatherless and the widow so the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Malachi 3, 5, so I will come near to you for judgment and I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages and who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Deuteronomy 14, 29, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, just a little bit of context, this is sanctuary cities, that you have people who are traveling, wanderers, specifically this group of Levites, the priests, he said, I want you to establish these sanctuary cities for the Levites and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns. They may come and eat and be satisfied. And so the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. First Timothy 5, 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Psalm 146, 9, the Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Psalm 68, 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Deuteronomy 27, 19, cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless or the widow. Then all the people shall say, amen. Exodus 22, 21 through 24, do not mistreat an alien or oppress him. For you were aliens in Egypt. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do 
and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry and my anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Jeremiah 49, 11, leave your orphans. I will protect their lives. Your widows can trust in me. Isaiah 10, one and two, woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Zechariah 7, 9 and 10. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor in your hearts. Do not think evil of each other. And finally, Deuteronomy 10, 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. I read all those verses to try to make a point and try to ask ourselves collectively and ourselves individually, is that me? Is that my heart? Do I really care for people who are ostracized? Do I pity them? Do I look down on them? Do I, do I look away? Am I disgusted by them? And you might be thinking, I don't, man, I don't know. It might be a stretch to make a one-for-one one with, with gender dysphoria and, and a widow. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but... Let's look, let's look at what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter eight, verses one and three. It says, when he came down from the mountainside, great crowds followed him and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. A leper, someone who looks differently, someone who has to act differently, someone who, who you would look on with disgust and disdain who you would shudder, who you would walk away from, who you would turn away from. You would not want anything to do with them. You would want the right answer. How can I just give you something so you will leave me alone? This leper comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And this is the part that gets me and it's the part that should get you. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus physically touches this man who is unclean, who would have had to have legally walked into a city and actually physically, verbally had to shout out, unclean, unclean. And I wonder, our brothers and sisters who identify as gender transphoric, that if they feel that way, that when they walk into a church, they say, no, I'm unclean. You're not gonna wanna do anything to me. And yet we wanna reach out and touch them and say, you are clean. Be clean in Jesus. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And so in closing, in gospel application, do we really love the outcast society? I mean, do, do we really love the outcast? This might not just be this issue or this topic. It might be anything else, whatever might flood your brain. Do you personally feel this way? And do we as a church is this a church that is a place for someone who experiences gender dysphoria or anything else where they would feel loved and welcomed? I would like to think the answer is yes. I'd like to, but I know my heart. And I know, I know my prejudice, sinful attitude, my personal disgust when I see somebody who's different when I hear somebody or who, who talks different or acts differently, that I, I shudder. And I think I'm better. 
shame on me. I need to repent of that. I think maybe some of you do too. The other aspect of this is, do you think you're better than your brother or sister? And this might be, you might think that we're better than somebody who experiences gender dysphoria. But also in the same way, we might think that we're better than somebody who affirms or somebody who denies. We can put ourselves in our understanding of this topic. And maybe right now you're thinking that about me. We need to repent of that. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. There's a third way, a way of Jesus that's full of truth and love. I want to remind you that not, not this week, but next week after the service, we're going to be doing uh, another Q&A up in the office. And uh, there's a lot of information, a lot of things that we don't have time to say. And so Paul and I uh, really want to be able to talk about it. If you have questions or Man, I don't know what you said about this. I'm, I'm confused about that. Just a place to talk about it. I uh, want to open, open that up in that way. And so I want to, as we do every week, have this time of communion. This is a time where we get to look around. We get to be a family. We get to love one another. We get to love everybody else who partakes of these elements. This is a family that we get to look at the, the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us, the bread, the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to partake of these elements. And if you're somebody who experiences gender dysphoria and you're maybe hearing this for the first time and you say, wow, this Jesus that loves me where I'm at, maybe that's the kind of Jesus I wanna follow. This is a Jesus who, who died for my sins and my temptation or my struggles, if you will, in this area, it's not sin. As Paul talked about last week, we would love for you to partake of these elements with us this morning. Let me pray, and we're gonna continue worshiping through song. Uh, you don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but if you're a follower of Jesus, we would love for you to partake of these elements. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for our time this morning. I thank you for my new friend who challenged me in so many ways, convicted me in so many ways. I pray that we would be a people that would listen, that would do our best to understand, that would repent of our own prejudices, our own pre-understandings, preconceived notions of people in positions that we just can't even fathom. in the same way that you are a father to the fatherless, that we would be a husband, that we would be a church, we would be a safe place for the widow to anybody who's an outcast in our society, in our church, that just wouldn't be named among us. And that we would speak the truth in love. So God, I just pray now that as we partake of these elements, that you would receive the honor and the glory. And to Christ's name we pray.